have the honour of presenting the Bible reading to you today from Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 56. If you don't have a Bible with you, please feel free to grab one from the back, either right now or on your way out. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. For if people do these things, when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insights at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. But all those who knew him, including women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to the decision and action. He came from the Gian town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. 
Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, if you are new to Tungabi Baptist Church, my name is RJ. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, and as Christians, we do believe that the, that the scriptures or the Bible or the word of God is the, the spoken word of God. It's a way for us to be able to hear uh, what God is saying to us uh, today. So when we preach, we believe that by interpreting what God is saying in his word, that we can actually also hear God. So I don't have an authority of my own. I only say what God speaks in his word, and so I try to explain that, and hopefully by the Spirit of God, we can hear what God is saying to us today. So with that, let me start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you again to have mercy on us by speaking to us now, so that we will not just understand the text, but we will hear your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this week, as I was preparing... Uh, the, the passage I was reading uh, about the crucifixion, I found out something I've, I, don't, I didn't really uh, realize before. I find it quite interesting. You might not. Uh, but in ancient Greece, the word cross or crucifixion is like a swear word during their time. It's their four-letter swear word at the time. The crucifixion uh, is one of the, we know it's one of the death penalties uh, but it's, uh, therefore, it's, it's the most uh, shameful death that they can give to the worst criminals at that time. Uh, it's so bad that, that if you are a Roman citizen, regardless of your crime, they never crucify one of their own. That crucifixion is a way for, for them to, to parade someone who's done evil and, and something very revolting, revolting. And it's a way of saying, don't be like this person. That's why it's a very uh, public um, capital punishment. A Greek philosopher and, uh, and lawyer and, um, and politician, a hundred years before Jesus, he said this to his fellow Romans. He said, let the very mention of the cross be far removed, not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, and his ears. He's saying, if you want to be an honorable Roman person, then don't even think of the cross, because for them, again, it's like a swear word. It's one of, it's one of the, the type of word that parents wouldn't want to hear their kids saying, which leads us to a very interesting thought, that how can the most shameful punishment and word, the cross, crucifixion, suddenly become the most upheld idea in Christianity? How all of a sudden the cross turns from a shameful word to the most exalted word in the early century. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, may I never boast except on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, though which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never be proud of anything else aside from the cross of Jesus. Paul, who started to, to be a, he, he was a religious Pharisee. He was totally against Christianity. He even called the cross a foolishness to the Gentiles. He went from trying to, doing whatever he can to stop the movement to becoming the most influential advocate of Christianity in the early century. How is that possible? 
Well, here's how. Because the crucifixion of Jesus turned the most revolting death penalty to the most incredible method of salvation for all humanity on Good Friday. On Good Friday, Jesus turned sin to righteousness, shame to honor, punishment to grace. And in our passage today, it just shows that. The story tells us that Jesus had, this, had three different inca- uh, interactions with three different people just before he died on the cross, which shows us three things. And, and so we're going to look at that three interactions of Jesus in our passage. And the three interactions that I wanted to highlight in our passage are these three things. The crying women... We can see the mocking man, and lastly, just before he died, we can see the repenting criminal next to him, okay? So the crying women, the mocking man, and the repenting criminal. All right, let's begin. Firstly, with the crying men, sorry, crying women. Uh, firstly, notice that the gospel writer puts a lot of emphasis on the presence of women during this ordeal. Uh, follow, uh, follow along in your Bibles in verse 27. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. In 49, Jesus died, when, after Jesus died, it says that all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Verse 55, the burial, right? The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how this, his body was laid in it. The women played a very important role during this important event. And it is also clear that these women were very saddened and they're, they're quite depressed by what they were seeing. That in verse 27, they were mourning and wailing as Jesus was being, um, as, Jesus, as Jesus carried his cross. But listen to what Jesus said in verse 28. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep. It's quite confronting. Do not weep. Weep for yourselves and for your children for the time will come when you will say, blessed are the barren women the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. He's really saying there, don't cry for me. Right? He's suffering. Don't cry for me. Don't be sad for me. You don't understand what is going on. You're, you're weeping because you can see my pain, Jesus says. But you don't understand when the time comes that you will be in a worse situation. A day will come when it will be a lot more unbearable for you, right? That's what he's saying there. Now, what day is Jesus talking about? Well, we know that he's quoting from the Old Testament, from the prophet Hosea. And the passage in the Old Testament is really saying that it talks about the coming judgment of the wicked and those who oppose God. And so Jesus was pointing back to that, saying that you don't see the judgment that awaits you. You don't understand that someday you will stand before the throne of God. If, and if you're not ready on that day, then you too will have to face the justice and the wrath of the God Almighty. That's what he's saying. And do you notice that it's not, it's not God throwing the mountains to the people? No, it's the people asking for the mountains to fall on them, to cover them. Because the coming justice that awaits everyone will be so unbearable that you will wish death upon yourself. That death itself will be a form of relief on that day. Jesus is saying, you don't, until you understand what is really wrong with you, until you understand that you, that you are in, in, in danger, until you understand that you're under sentence, you're under condemnation, 
then you don't really understand what I'm doing here. He's saying, don't cry for me. Cry for yourself because of what's coming for you. And I think here's what it means for us today. That a lot of Christians are very, quite, we're very quick to say, oh, you know, God loves you. Jesus loves you very much. He's your friend. He will accept you for who you are. Jesus wants the best for you. He wants to bless you. And rightly so. But don't forget that Jesus talks about hell. He talks about the wrath of God more than he spoke about the love of God. And here Jesus is warning us, unless you weep for yourselves and you see yourselves as God's enemies awaiting his deserved wrath and judgment, until you realize that you, that you are a rebellious lost sinner awaiting death, you will not understand what I'm really doing here. You cannot understand the love of God without understanding his justice. That you cannot understand his grace and mercy that we so love unless you realize the wrath of God that, that he saves us from. That here, early on, Jesus is pointing out humanity's biggest problem. The problem of the coming wrath of God. The pending judgment of God. And he says this is what's worth crying and worrying about. They say death of a loved one. Divorce, unemployment, and the moving house are the highest source of stress and anxiety. But Jesus says, no, no, no. The coming wrath of God should be the very top. It's like when we see children complain about the most trivial things. They cry if a, if a, tro if a, if a toy is broken or if a sock is missing or if the Wi-Fi is not working. And as adults, we think there's bigger problems to solve that's not worth crying about. But God is saying to us, you, you worry about your mortgage, you, you worry about how you look, you worry about the economy, you worry about toilet paper. My goodness, Jesus is saying, do, you do not have the slightest idea what you should be worrying about. Worry about your standing, you standing before God. Are you prepared to face him on that day? And let me point out that Jesus is not being, he's not being insensitive here. Because he, he starts by saying, daughters of Jerusalem. There's, there's gentleness, there's love, there's, there's a sense of intimacy in his words. He's addressing them with, with deep sincerity and love. In the same way, he's not just warning us. He's inviting you to think about it. Do you understand what's coming for you? Do you understand what really matters in life? Do you weep and worry and become anxious for the right reason? Now, secondly, we see the mocking men. So three times we see the gospel writer writing, uh, writing uh, sorry, mentioning a, a, a bunch of women crying. Um, but the narrative also tells us that three times we see a bunch of men mocking Jesus. And explicitly three times they say, save yourself. All right, look at verse 35. The people watching and rulers sneering at him, they said, save, he saved others. Well, let him save himself now, if he is the Christ, the chosen one. 36, the soldiers as well, they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 39, the criminals next to him, he asked insultingly, are you the Christ? Well, save yourself and us. In summary, they're all saying, if you say who you are, then prove it. 
prove yourself. Come down and take revenge. Fight your way out. Perform a miracle if you are the Messiah. But again, they don't, they don't know what's really going on. Little did they know that the reason Jesus was not saving himself is, is at that very moment, he was saving humanity. That it is only, as we said, it is only through his death that life is made available. He had to give up his life so that we can receive eternal life in him. That unless he dies for our sake, there won't be salvation and restoration for humanity. Because on the cross, he didn't just die as an example for us. He didn't just die as an inspiration. He died as a ransom. Like Will, he takes our punishment. His death is a payment for those who believe. That see, on the cross, he took the wrath, as we said, he took the wrath and the judgment that you and I deserve. And look at the criminal's insult. Remember, this guy is right next to him. He's dying as well. He said, if you are real, then save yourself and save me. All right, he's saying, if you are who you say you are, then do something for me. And let me point out, let me point out that that is really a very common prayer today, isn't it? People often say, God, if you're out there, if you're real, then do something for me. And if you do, then I will believe in you. But whether you are a Christian or not, a lot of us have prayed this pray prayer that if you are, you say, if you are the savior of the world, then prove yourself and save me. God, if you are real, if you're out there, then save me from the problems that I have today. We often demand God to perform a miracle just so that he can prove himself. Um, maybe some of you used to believe, maybe you used to go to church a lot, but you gave it all up because you didn't, you prayed and you didn't get any answers from God. Maybe you, you prayed in the hospital, maybe you prayed during a relationship crisis, maybe you prayed when you were, when you were broke. But notice from the story that, that Jesus did not answer any of them. And the reason why, the reason why is if he, if he saved himself, then what's going to happen is that he will be condemning us. Because he could have brought down fire from heaven. He could have ordered a battalion of angels to show up at that time. But, and Jesus would have really saved himself. He would have prov proven himself. People would have been amazed and would have believed him at that time. But it wouldn't bring salvation to the world today. Because the only hope they have, and the only hope you and I have, is if he stays on that cross. See, they, they had no idea what was going on. They didn't understand it at that time. The women didn't understand it. Even Jesus' close disciples had no idea what was happening. But Jesus knew that it was part of the plan. He knew that there was no other way to save you and me aside from the cross. That's why he stayed. That's why he didn't save himself. See, the women and the disciples can look back now. And the, and the reason why Jesus had to, to endure the cross, they could have, they, they, they think like, yeah, th that's why Jesus stayed there. So what does that mean for us? It means that when we're facing problems and it seems like our world is falling apart and it seems like we're praying and God is not answering, he's silent. It doesn't mean that he's not doing anything. It doesn't mean that he does not have a plan. Because the crucifixion, it seems like everything was falling apart. Here, here's a Messiah claiming to be the son of God, but everything was falling apart. But see, it was part of the plan. Therefore, it means we can trust him. Listen to what Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 8. He says, he, 
who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will, he, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if God gave his son for our sake to save us from our sins, can't we trust him during a relationship breakdown? Can't we trust him during our unemployment? Can't we trust him during the pandemic? Because we know that on the cross there was a bigger plan that demonstrates his ultimate love for us. Will he not love us now? Can't we trust him today? Will he not prove his love over the small things that we, over the small problems that we have today, if he already proved himself on the cross by giving himself? And look at how Jesus responded to their insult. Jesus prayed for them in verse 34. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And so at his most at his most painful and embarrassing and tormenting moment, he prayed for their forgiveness because they just don't understand what is going on. That during the time of our doubts or even our insults towards God, Jesus Christ doesn't, doesn't give us evidence and proof. He offers us something better, forgiveness. So don't go insulting God if he's not doing anything that you want him to do right now. Because you never know what's behind it all. And see, this is how the most shameful death can become the most iconic symbol of hope today. Because Christianity says that it is only through the cross that you can receive forgiveness and salvation. It is only through the cross where death and shame can become the source of hope and righteousness. Because the cross is the real evidence of God's love. That by dying the death that you should have died. That's his love for us. So lastly, let's look at how we can receive this salvation. Let's look at the repenting criminal on the cross. We can read his response in verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him. He says, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. That we are punished justly for we are getting what, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. In verse 42, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. First of all, unlike the other criminal who's trying to get out, remember, he said, like, save me, right? Save yourself and then save me. Get me out of here. This repenting criminal says, we deserve what we're getting. He's not making any excuses. We are not told what he did, but remember, the crucifixion is, the, is reserved for the worst offenders at that time. He admits, that, he admits that he deserves this. He's saying, I belong here on the cross to die. But secondly, he says, Jesus, remember me when, you're, when you come into your kingdom. He's really, I don't think he's really asking for much. He doesn't really ask for salvation. He simply asks to be remembered for a slight mercy when Jesus enters this kingdom that he's talking about. Now, I don't, think, I don't think this criminal fully understands what Jesus is about. I'm sure his, his theology is not perfect like yours, but he understands enough to admit his sinfulness and believes that Jesus has the power and authority to grant him some sort of mercy. See, this criminal, as we said, that he, he could have heard Jesus praying for the forgiveness of people. He would have heard the warning that he gave to the women about the coming judgment. And he would have seen the innocence and love that Jesus demonstrated. 
So he doesn't fully comprehend what Jesus is doing nor what life after death will be like. But he, but he said, remember me when this is all over and you're back in your kingdom. Don't forget about me, Jesus. And Jesus' response to him is a lot more that he would have expected. Verse 43, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. He's saying, today when you die, you will be with me in paradise. My friends, that's, that's the gospel right there. That's the good news right there. The gospel is if you understand the depth of your sins and that you are able to cry over your sinfulness and turn to Jesus to save you, then regardless of who you are and what you've done, he says the same thing to you. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, the word paradise is the same word for garden. And I think it seems like Jesus is referring back to the original story when God used to be in perfect relationship with his creation, with Adam and Eve. And Jesus is saying, I think here, I can bring you back when you are able to have this perfect communion and relationship with the Father. Because that's paradise. A place where God dwells. And Jesus adds, you will be with me. See, the criminal... He asked for a slight mercy, like a beggar just asking for some small change. But Jesus gives him a mansion. Jesus gives him complete access to God. Because a Christian is someone who turns to Jesus for hope. Someone who knows that he or she is undeserving. But by Jesus' mercy and sacrifice, he or she can have full relationship and salvation in him. And I hope you can see how complex this, how complex the gospel is, because on one hand, it's so easy, right? It's so easy to become a Christian because it's not about what you have done in your life. It's not about morality or religiosity. It's about turning to Jesus for salvation. It's purely by grace alone through faith alone. It's that easy. But at the same time, do you see how hard it is? That out of everyone in the story, it's only the criminal that's really getting it. Because to be a Christian, you have to realize that you are nothing before God. Nothing to, to show for. It's, it's really saying to be a Christian, you go before God, helpless and naked, and you completely rely on Him for salvation. It's to swallow your pride and say, I'm just like the criminal on the cross. I deserve this. But if you are willing, Lord, then remember me. It doesn't matter if you've been... You've been going to church your whole life, or you've been a good law-abiding citizen contributing to the society. Nothing of that counts. That's what it's saying. And this is why for, for most good people, most good people, especially in, in this church, this idea is very offensive. It's offensive to be told that you have to cry out like the criminal on the cross. Because we think, surely, surely I'm not that bad. I don't, I don't deserve the same type of punishment. I'm not, a criminal, I'm not a criminal. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a terrorist. I don't deserve the cross. But see, to be a Christian, you need to be able to pray the old Anglican hymn to say that nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Christianity tells us that there is no sin 
too small that does not need the cross. While at the same time tells us that there is no sin too big that the cross cannot pay for. If you're not a Christian and you're wondering what you must do to be right with God, you only need to believe. But not just believe in some concept or idea, but believe like the criminal that Jesus offers complete forgiveness and restoration if you surrender your life in him. Call his name and he will receive you. Or perhaps you used to believe, you used to go to church, but you gave that all up because he wasn't answering, answering your demands. He's not answering any of your prayers. Then you are here for a reason as well because God might be saying to you, I might not solve your problem, but you just have to trust me in what I'm doing. Repent and turn back to him. He is merciful and gracious to those who humble themselves. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for, for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We, we acknowledge that how difficult it must have been for you to see your son suffer and to deny him your love and grace and, answer in, and saving him from the cross. And so we thank you, Father, for that incredible sacrifice. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for, we, we will not understand what, what it took you to, to carry the, the wrath, the burden that we, the sins that we have, and to put it on yourself and to pay for it for your, yourself. And so Lord, help us to at least have a glimpse of that sacrifice so that we can live a life that is truly worthy of your sacrifice, truly worthy of the gospel. This we pray in your name. Amen.